What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Daily Energy News Beat Stand Up here on this gorgeous Monday. As always, I'm your humble correspondent, Michael Tanner, coming to you from an undisclosed location here in Dallas, Texas, joined by the executive producer of the show, the purveyor of the show, and the director and publisher of the world's greatest website, energynewsbeat.com, Stuart Turley. My man, how we doing today? Hey, it's a beautiful day in West Texas. Uh, hey, Michael, I was driving down West Texas, got up early sunrise is beautiful mm-hmm. see all these wind farms all across west texas none of them were producing electricity <laughs> <laughs> well you don't get it when the wind blows um, uh, well, too know. bad they weren't offshore and they weren't out killing the whales oh you're killing me dude oh no you're killing the whales <laughs> well good we glad you got up early though and got out there but nonetheless you have still lined us up with an excellent excellent show first up on the menu guys no energy transition unless tech can make it cost competitive that's according to blackrock so Stu will dive into what larry fink said there on friday um next up our favorite random guy on substack an opinion piece from david blackman how energy policy is fueling congress budget wars next up german energy giant admits it's probably still buying russian gas um in a move everybody saw coming if you listen to the podcast uh, newsflash Germany still buying Russian gas. Next up, we'll go over um, across the pond to the UK. Uh, Sunyak's family firm signed a billion dollar deal with BP before Prime Minister opened new North Sea licenses. Hmm, interesting. Stu will dive into um, a lot going on with BP right now. We have another one of those stories coming up a little bit later. Um, Stu will then kick it over to me. I'll quickly cover um, what happened in the oil and gas markets um, on Friday. We did see rig counts come in. So I'll cover what happened there. And then to go back to BP specifically, another executive departs within their U.S. head resigning um, U.S. President David Lawler. He's out. We will dive into that spicy news which dropped on Friday along with everything else. But before we do that, guys, remember all of the news and analysis you are about to hear is brought to you by the world's greatest website, energynewsbeat.com, the best place for all your energy and oil and gas news. Stu and the team do a great job of curating that site, making sure it stays up to speed with everything you need to know about the business. You can get in contact with the show, email us questions at energynewsbeat.com. You can subscribe to the show, which is probably the best way to support us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on YouTube at Energy Newsbeat. You can check out our data news product, dashboard.energynewsbeat.com. Let us know what you think. You can hit the description below, all the timestamps, all the links, and another way to get in contact with the show. I'm ready. Fire. I'm fired up for this show, Stu. Where do we want to begin? Hey, let's start with my buddy, Fink. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm not a BlackRock fan. And let's start here. No energy transition unless tech can make it cost competitive, BlackRock. Michael, I'm going to get into this story here, but let's set the stage for folks that have never heard of BlackRock. BlackRock, biggest fund manager in the world. Last year, for first half of the year, they lost $1.7 trillion because of their energy investing, their ESG investing into renewables, and they've lost it. Now, Toward the end of 2022, we've seen the ESG investors, Michael, you have hit on this financially hard 
and that is the fact that uh, investors are wanting their money back. So we're seeing an end to the ESG investment because they're tired of not getting their money. All right. It's become just a huge capital expense, much like the shale revolution for all the good that it did. It lit a lot of money on fire. It's been the same thing. That's right. And so Larry Fink stood up there and made me airsick a lot, uh, espousing non-humanitarian things. Okay, here's what he just talked about. Let's dive into this article. Quote, unquote, from Mr. Larry Fink. Uh, He told uh, Bloomberg's Danny Berger, we are not going to have an energy transition unless we can find technologies to bring down the competitive cost of renewables. We cannot do that, Fink said, adding that BlackRock conducted a survey showing 57% of their global investors are planning to put more money into decarbonization technologies. Uh, here's another one. Quote, we saw what happened with elevated energy prices just two years ago in Germany and Europe. You can't have a transition. He said, argued that when energy prices go up, emerging nations use more coal because life is more important in the future. Wow. Okay, I agree with all of that. Then his next quote, quote, we need to reimagine finance. That just shed a shimmy down my spine because Larry Fink is no friend of ours. Remember, nope. this guy sits on the board of directors of the World Economic Forums like you right. do. So you should talk to him about the next board meeting and say, you were right up until you said we need to oh. reimagine finance. Because you know what that sounds like? They want more. Just give it all to me. Oh, yeah. See, they're they're now doing a little bit of a lean back in here. And this is going to tie into a couple of our other stories. And that is he's going, hey, I'm going to give you investors. You know, he's hanging out with Putin, too. I'm going to give you investors a little bit of food crumbs. I'm going to invest in energy and oil and gas. And my head's exploding with this hypocrisy that this knucklehead has got going on. Well, no, I think he's I think he's 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 clearly understands that. Oh, my goodness. If always understood if if energy. Well, let's just say let's give them the benefit of the doubt. At least now they're recognizing and they're not just pouring more. I mean, it only took them two years to figure out it took. It took shale companies 10 years to figure it out. It's kind of funny. So, you know, it only took them about two years of bad returns to be like, "Mm, let's course correct here. So all I'm saying is I'm a little spooked out when I hear guys like Larry Fink telling me we need to reimagine finance. Mm, We just maybe need to get a little bit, have give you a little bit less control so that the actual competitive markets can go about bringing down the cost of renewables, which is exactly right. We have to encourage the competitive environment in order to make things. I mean, there's a reason why, as he said, when energy prices go up, emerging nations use more coal. Well, why? Because it's so cheaper. Let me, so let me throw this right up you. until the point where he creeps me out with his reimagining finance. Okay, Germany, uh, Germany, uh, I guess, is an emerging nation now because they've been losing all of their business since they've gotten rid of all of their uh, nuclear reactors. They have no reliable wind. They are now an emerging nation because they're using more coal. Yeah, no kidding. Speaking of Germany, we got to let's go to the German one. Okay. Um, speaking of them still buying Russian gas, this is just a hoot. German energy giant admits it's probably still buying Russian gas. 
you know, what's that Mike Myers movie when the villain stands there and he's putting his pinky to his mouth? What What's the name of that villain? I, uh, I uh, Austin Powers. Austin Powers. Okay. Anyway, participants in global whole scale training cannot track the origin of fuels they purchase. CEO points out. Oh, you don't quote, say. Unquote. You don't say. No, molecular structure changes. Russia keeps selling LNG to the world market, he said on Saturday in an interview with Germany's. I uh, Forgive me. Reichsnet. Reichsnet. Yeah, yeah, bless ah. you. Yeah, uh, post new paper. The wholesalers, including a Uniper, who do not always know the origin of their purchased gas. Uh, here's another quote down in here. If it gets very cold or there are problems with the LNG purchases, then this winter could be tight. The executive said if China's economy grows and the need for LNG increases, Europe will face shortage of the fuel as well as the price spikes. Michael, we just talked about you, you, you kind of alluded that Germany is becoming a a new or a third world country, if you would, because all the businesses are shutting down and leaving. They're using more coal. They're taking down wind farms in order to put in more coal. This is huge. And guess who else is using Russian LNG right now? Us. The East Coast <laughs> and the West Coast. <laughs> our two favorite states, New York and California. And our two biggest listening groups, dude. <laughs> I don't get it, guys, but we appreciate everybody out there. I do think we'd be remiss to point out in this article, Stu, right before the, the final quote, we do say Germany is better prepared for an upcoming winter. Than a year ago, they're they sitting at about ninety five percent storage. Last year, they were at about eighty five percent. This time, right. so you know why they they've got more. Well, because they're buying Russian gas. So, but if you're worried about having to burn your shoes, as we no. saw last year, remember the articles: burn your shoes, burn the books to stay warm. Right. You won't have to do that this year, and that's probably you know l- luckily because of Putin. So, well, it's funny and- how the world works. And, and let me throw this at it just from a technical sans- standpoint. Uh, they've had so many LNG import facilities come online. I believe Germany had two come online last year. Good for them. I think it's great. They needed it. The U.S. sold a bunch, and so did, uh, I believe, either Qatar, Qatar, or the UAE has really stepped up as well. All right, let's go to our favorite guy on Substack, random dude on Substack, David Blackman. How energy policy is fueling Congress budget wars. I'll tell you what, I had a um, just a shout out to David and Congressman Andy Ogles. I got to sit, I put this out on LinkedIn. I got to sit down and uh, be frontline uh, support while we, you know, we had a production. I had to rush production this podcast and I was over there just jamming away barefoot, as you aptly pointed out on my LinkedIn, doing this podcast. And let me give you this quote. We are fighting for the budget. I believe that we can pass 12 appropriations bills, and that's what we should do. Republican Congressman Andy Ogles, who represents the Tennessee's 5th Congressional District, is passionate about efforts by seeing a minority of the House Republicans Caucus 
to bring back normal order to the federal government's budgeting process. He made that crystal clear in an interview with David Blackman on Thursday. That's Sandstone Media breaking news right there, folks. Sandstone Media breaking news. Here's a quote from him. And uh, I I wish you could have seen me. I should add the whole film on me because I'm over there going, this is cool. This is cool. All right. Uh, Keep in mind, all 50 states have a budget they have passed, he says. This is Andy Ogle. Congressman Ogles, when you go back in, that's what's called regular order. When you're passing a single subject appropriations bill, the last time Congress uh, did that was 1997. Since then, an increasingly divided and contentious Congress has kept the government funding either in part or in whole with unanimous multi-trillion dollar continuing resolutions that have served the Democratic Party's goals to grossly inflate the scope and scale of the federal budget over time. This is despicable. Anyway, And it just makes you airsick that our political machine is not looking at the bills. They just force everybody, they whip them and they say, oh, by the way, everybody vote this way. And they don't even look at the bills independently. They look at it. Oh, yeah, we're going to do it. So it passed at the time of this recording. It's already passed and they didn't shut the government down. Yeah. And I think I think this interview and I'd highly recommend people when, when it comes out to go read this article or go it's listen to this interview, if you go listen to it. The Energy Question by David Blackman. Got to love it. You can listen to it um, on our YouTube channel or um, via the Energy Question on podcast. I think he does a really good job of of tying into, again, what, what really the, the, the core of the interview was about was how this this current government looming shutdown, which, you know, depending on how things shake out, may or may not happen, really comes down to our ability to differ over what's going on with not just U.S. energy policy, but U.S. energy security. And he and, and I love it towards the end of the interview, Stu. He, he didn't shout out you, but specifically one of his quotes. You have a lot of agencies, whether it's the SEC or the EPA or others that create these rules that directly impact the industry. What is happening by making a new rule, reinterpreting an old rule is they're essentially legislating. That's not their job. That's Congress' job. It's our job. Legislation through regulation. Even they know it. Oh, absolutely. And and uh, I got to hand it out. Here's one other quote out of the article that David brings out. When you have $33 trillion worth of debt and we can't cut our way out of this mess, Ogles points out, you do that by growing the economy. And the number way to grow the economy is to become energy independent again, to acknowledge the fact that the future of energy in this country is coal and oil and gas and even nuclear. Dude. I mean, the man is sharp. Shout out to David Blackman and Congressman Ogles. Uh, Oh, by the way, little inside baseball. I'm interviewing uh, Congressman Ogles uh, on Wednesday of this week. Oh, oh, oh. You heard it here first, folks. All right, let's go to England. This is a spooky deal. What we've got going on here. (laughs) We've got a couple other things here. Okay. A little corruption, uh, soon, I don't, I think. Uh, it is. Uh, Sunak's family firm signed a billion dollar deal with BP before PM opened uh, new North Sea licenses. Okay, I'm going to set this article up and then we're going to do a deep dive into the article. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, last week, Michael, this was huge news. He stood up and then the rest of the world had dominoes going. He stood up and said, we're going to delay the EV, the cars, the EV, the net zero by five years. 
And then, Michael, you and I laughed about on our podcast last week. Boom, 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 boom. Snap, 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 snap. All the green heads just popping. Mm -hmm. Pop, 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 around the world, right? And then you had Shell come out and say, well, you know, we're going to back off and we're going to start drilling oil. And then everybody, I mean, it was a snowball around the world. Then this article came out this morning and it says... Uh, in May, the Times of India reported that Infosys bagged a huge deal from the global energy company, which thought to be the second largest in the history. The Indian IT company is owned by the prime minister's mm -hmm. wife family, although Sunak insisted the matter is of no legitimate public interest. Okay. Right. I mean, you know, it's also come to light that they've been involved with that. That same IT quote giant has been involved with 172 pounds, million pounds worth of public sector contracts in the UK. E okay. E um, okay. Here's his. Uh, here's a quote down in there for him. You know, even though the prime minister did great things and he's trying to do what's right, graft is graft, and it's you know we don't have anybody in politics anymore. The PM said even the UK would still need oil and gas for 25% of its energy needs with the PM saying that power to Britain from Britain rather than the UK relying on foreign dictators for its energy supplies. I applaud the prime minister for that. And he goes on to further say in another quote, if we're going to need it, Far better to have it here at home than shipping it from halfway around the world with two, three, four times the amount of carbon emissions versus the oil and gas we have here at home. Way to go, Prime Minister. Uh, I, I I applaud him for that. And um, at least he needs to learn from the Biden administration. Set up 15. Exactly. Hang on. Thank hang you. On. Go talk to Hunter. Go talk to Hunter, man. Set up 30 or 40 shell companies from your wife to you, or you can learn from uh, Carrie when they said uh, your plane is emitting carbon emissions for cars. And he goes, I don't have no plane. My wife owned plane, not me. My wife owned plane. Exactly. Me, no plane. Right. Just don't leave your laptop at any random <laughs> store. Make sure to take that with you. So, okay. Oh, what a show. I had about six others and you had to boom them out though. Cause we I just were boomed gonna... one. Let's move yeah. on to finance here, guys. I, interesting trading day on Friday. S&P was down about a quarter of a percentage point. NASDAQ was fairly flat, only up um, eight tenths uh, or excuse me, less than a tenth of a percentage point. Crude oil actually dropped, you know, mainly on what, what is considered quote unquote profit taking. Again, you Fridays, you usually see a, a little more weakness in the markets, especially depending, especially the week we had, Stu, where we saw prices go to from 88 all the way to 95. Current settle was 90.77. Looks to open somewhere about 90.79, so fairly flat. Um, that front month November Brent contract was down seven cents, 95.31. To give you an idea, we ended really that quarter three. We're now in that 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 um that final quarter here. We had about 30% price increase, Stu, looking back on the entire quarter. So 
you know, good news for the energy market. I think it's going to be interesting to see how oil and gas companies react to this. I mean, that's a sustained trend. And I think, you know, now sitting here on, you know, as we record this here on October 1st, I mean, prices, you know, if, if you told me prices were up another 15% all the way to 110 by the end of the quarter, that wouldn't really surprise me considering some of the stuff that we've been seeing out there. No. And, you know, but despite that, rig counts again down by seven week over week. Courtesy of Baker Hughes and our friends over at Inveris, the week ending September 29th, that's how they count it, 623 rigs. That's down seven. Something's not adding up here, Stu. And I think, I mean, the answer is, you know, I don't think it's a shocker to anybody. It's that companies are more interested in returning money to shareholders in order to recurry favor with capital, institutional capital, than they are dumping into capital projects. I mean, it's clear they think giving out dividends is going to be better for their investors than it is by drilling new wells. That's fascinating. They'd rather just return. They, They don't, you know, what about those thousand locations, Stu? What about those thousand double premium well, locations everybody talks about? Michael, it, it, do you think, and I need to ask, because I did go to Oklahoma State University, did, do you think, the uh, nice mug, uh, do you think that the um, $80, eight, I mean, $90 oil, $94 oil is making some of that determination to give money back rather than drill because they think, they see, in my opinion, that high oil prices will be here for a little while. Do you think that's the case? No, I think they're making a calculation in their mind. I think they I think every company, whether they admit it or not, knows that the actual well economics of their and portfolio economics of their individual projects. And the reason, in my opinion, why rig counts are dropping is because they're making an evaluation that we're better off returning money to shareholders, taking the $12 million that we would dump into, say, a two-mile lateral somewhere down in West, down there in the Permian. Right. We would rather take that $12 million, dump that back into shareholder, into either share buybacks right. or dividends, helping increase our dividend. Because we feel like the returns from an overall company standpoint are going to be better doing that. Oh, I and that could because I, that makes down sense. the road we then get access to maybe a little bit, you know, maybe we get access to an institution that wants to have a, a debt deal with us that's a little bit more structured because they're also willing, you know, or, uh, or you know, there are things that, you know, if you're trying to curry favor with institutional investors or or the more sophisticated markets, share buybacks. And dividends are the easiest way to do it, not dumping capital into subpar projects that maybe only on an aggregate level, maybe only can, can return 15, 20%. I mean, again, there's a reason why I don't buy the thousand premium locations every MA transaction talks about because people then don't put their money where their mouth is. Speaking of another company that's having some wow. hard times, Stu, BP, another BP executive departs with the US head resigning. Now, this is interesting, Stu. BPs of America's US president, David Lawler, mine's guy, we love him, is leaving the British oil giant, becoming the second top executive to quit this month after CEO Bernard Looney abruptly resigned over some improper um, communications and relationships with his um, uh, Simcop Padres. Um, Lawler, who is also the president and head of the C- CEO of what's called BPX, their shale production division, um, he's been with BP for nine years. He's, quote, notified of his intent to pursue new career opportunities outside of BP, according to a memo confirmed by the company. He's going to be replaced by the gas trip by Orlando Alvarez, who's the head of the U.S. gas trading wing. 
and president of BP America, Kyle Kunis, will become the CEO of BPX. This is interesting, Stu. This is very interesting because this comes at a time. Remember, remember now, CEO Brian Looney just resigned for obviously they didn't want him to quit, but he, he had some improper non-disclosures that he was uh, uh, hanging out with his employees, maybe past after work. Okay. So he goes, I wonder, and this is again, now we're just going to purely speculate, but I find this interesting. If, if to pursue, you know, Lala resigns to pursue other career opportunities. Did he know he wasn't getting the top job? Was that maybe why he was there? Finds Mm. out now I'm not getting the top job. He sees how the interview and the, and the search process is shaken out and says, Hmm, Peace. I'm out. I don't know. Very interesting. What That's do you a good think? Question. Uh, I think it's a great question. And that also brings up the point that if you ever tell anybody not to go to the Christmas party, uh, don't go to the Christmas party since you were waved at Loney that one time when you were producing that one podcast. <laughs> well, hey, I, hey, I'm not the one that I'm not the one that needs to disclose anything. <laughs> no, so, you you gave him a heads up. Hey, dude, <laughs> don't go to the Christmas net, party. again. Net zero really meant net zero profit for him. But really interesting. A lot going on over at BP right now. A lot going on in BP right now. Which is interesting. I, you know, you wonder, and, and this is why you don't resign from being head of, of BPX, one of probably the largest capital spenders of money in the oil and gas business right now. What's he going to go do? Well, I, we know what he's doing, Stu. What is he doing? Podcast, Energy Newsbeat. We can officially uh, announce now David Lawler signing on, leading a podcast for us. I think it'd be fantastic. Hang on. This is him calling. Oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> we wish. But yeah. the invitation's out there. Oh, yeah. The real question is, what's he go do now? Whose job does he go take? How about Secretary Granholm? Ooh, ooh, good call. Good call. I like that. Or maybe you're even Fetterman. Ooh. Ah. Fettergram. Okay. Well, at least at least he'll be better dressed. At least your outfit would make it on the U.S. Senate floor now. I, I like Rand Paul's red uh, robe that he wore as a joke. <laughs> That's funny. So, all right. Anything else, Stu? What should people be worried about this week? Well, uh, since the budget passed, uh, I'm going to be visiting with some folks. Uh, I do hear some rumblings that I'm not at liberty to say yet. They could be ugly. Oh, you're not at liberty. So all right, I've, been guys, right, well, hey, I've been right a lot. That's the frightening part. It is. It's that's the absolutely the frightening part, guys. <laughs> but we'll go ahead and, and, and let you guys get out of here. Thanks for sticking with us here. I hope you had a great weekend. We will be here with you all the way through Friday. Appreciate it, guys. For Stuart Turley, I'm Michael Tanner. We'll see you tomorrow, guys. <laughs>